Good morning. Welcome to Guilty by Association, the Vinica podcast. I am Shelley D'Antonio. I'm here with my co-host, B.D. Snow, and Ben Curran, our CEO and fearless leader here at Vinica. Hey, guys. What's happening? Thanks for joining us, Ben. Yeah, happy to be here. It was a fun time. Get to hang out in our podcast studio a little bit. Thanks I, for joining us. Well, what, what I don't probably know and appreciate who is either watching or maybe listening to this is that this is a converted, someone's old... Mm-hmm office and it like it feels like a podcast studio now it really does it's nice it's great yeah they've got some decorations in here some fake plants we've got some logos and stuff i know, getting there, I know. Getting there it feels sure. very official and uh it's fun as we we're, we're planning some some renovations to part of our our offices of you know this is this is fun and a part of what we do now so like building a more permanent space for this will be awesome well it's very appropriate for us to bring you on here and thank you for the opportunity to do this because when we first started this whole you know thing we all Shelly and I both thought that you were joking around like hey you should do a podcast like oh sure Ben yeah well great there's so a I think it's I think it's fun and good content but selfishly I I just like listening to you guys riff on stuff so (laughs) I'm a consumer uh and I I know that our our team likes it I know you know, I've gotten some cool feedback from a lot of our customers and stuff that, that they've enjoyed your conversations as well. So thank you. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. What uh, what other podcasts do you listen to outside of ours, of course? Oh, good question. Uh, you know, I'm a, I listen to podcasts occasionally. I'm a huge consumer of audiobooks. Mm-hmm. So um, most of my listening, like in the car time, is all audiobooks. Uh, I like to just churn through a bunch of books. But I'll listen to a handful of different podcasts, a lot of business podcasts, um, a couple golf podcasts. Like I catch up on my golf news, so like mm-hmm. nerdy stuff. <laughs> what um, what's on your listening list right now? What are some top titles that you would recommend? Um, for kind of, bu- it's I don't know. I guess you'd call it like business, politics, startups, like just kind of fun conversation about that. I listen to the All In podcast. Got got a couple of venture capital guys and their former startup folks. Um, pretty fun conversations. And then for golf, I'm a huge fan of the no laying up podcast. So totally recommend that. It's just, you know, golf and I guess golf adjacent com- mm-hmm. conversations, which kind of fun. Okay. Yeah. Any book titles from your audiobooks that are on your, your top five list? Oh man. Uh, so I, yes, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm reading now. I'm reading one that's, uh, it's kind of on about change and transition within an organization, like new people joining, how to like set people up for success, how to speak common language. It's called the first 90 days. So mm-hmm. uh, that's pretty interesting. And then I'm also reading, so that one I'm actually reading hard copy, but then okay. audio book, what am I listening to simultaneously or hopefully not at the same time, which would be unique. Uh, uh, but listening to a book, it's kind of on marketing and sales, um, not just software, but just in general, like a philosophy on that called, uh, they ask you answer, mm-hmm. um, which is a cool book. It's kind of on, you know, about the philosophy on, you know, becoming a trusted partner and, and kind of just answering the, the hard questions that people, you know, ask, not mm-hmm. trying to bury things like, Oh, we don't want them to find out this like, Well, they're going to find out eventually. So right. do you want to scare them with her? Do you want to make it obvious and like tell them about, you know, all the, the good and the bad things? So it's a, good book so is it all just business books for you or do you ever you know go into any fiction or fantasy or anything like that uh i i enjoy all the i don't know business or kind of that i I enjoy those books Mm -hmm. uh so most mostly that um 
I'll read I'll read fiction and, and stuff occasionally. Usually like on vacation, I'll intentionally read a fun like fiction book. I think my favorite author in that kind of general category is Carl Hyacin. He writes a lot of like I guess you could say like comedy, dark humor stuff. It's all kind of based in Southern Florida and it's like, you know, of all the chaos that goes down there. It's, it's pretty fun. Nice. Have to check him out. You ever yeah. listen to him? I've not read him. Not read them yet. It's good. All right, so one more question on audiobooks, listening to audiobooks, because I'm mm-hmm. very curious about this. I find that I can't go through a whole audiobook without repeating a chapter. Do you just listen to that thing straight through? Or if you're driving down the road and taking in all these other inputs, do you find you got to like cycle back through the material? Nope, I'm, I'm pretty, I, I listen to it. I usually consume it. I don't think I go back and listen to much. Maybe I'll use the like go back 30 seconds feature a couple mm-hmm. times. And the other thing I do, because I'm a crazy person, is I listen to them on like 1.7 times speed, mm-hmm. which is... Sounds great if you ease into it, like you get used to that flow. But a couple of times my wife has gotten in the car with me and it's come on. She's like, what is happening? It just sounds like <laughs> yeah. you're listening to fast forward, you know, discussion. I, like, I don't know. This is just what I do. Um, it's it's yeah. true, though. You get used to that pacing because I've done the same thing. Like you listen to it on like, you know, a faster speed. Right. And then it's almost like you slow it down and it's painful. Like right. get on with well, it already. I think you have to. Um, I think you have to get used to the person's voice. So like a, a different narrator I'll listen to for a minute on one then like speed it up a little bit and then just ease into whatever's at some point you cross over the the threshold and it's like, I can't understand what's happening anymore or can't consume it at least. Uh, but yeah, it's good. And then they just sound like the chipmunks. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so um, let's, let's go back a little bit into some origin story stuff. How did you uh, bring us, walk us through like how you ended up here? Like what brought you into the HOA space, what you were doing before that? Yeah, totally. So um, I like, I love talking to, folks in our company about this or industry, like not only did I not come from a a long background of, you know, high growth software companies, but I also didn't come from association management, which I feel like a lot of folks came from one or the other, you know, certainly within our company. Um, like you guys both have backgrounds in, in HOA management. Um, but I don't, so I was, uh, formerly in the military. I was a submarine officer, nuclear engineer. Um, so it's a technical background, (laughs) uh, that's similar. Um, but it's like for, kind of the similarity to probably what I do now. It's, it's a people, it's a people background of like helping teams of people do hard things. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. What are the biggest, um, or I mean, maybe what is something that you learned in that background that has you translated to Vanica or to your new life? Um, Anything in particular you feel like was uh, yeah, fundamental? I, I think so. And this is like pretty core to, I, you know, hopefully how, how we do everything at Vanica is that it's all about the people, regardless of if you're trying to fix, a you know, a, a component for, you know, of a nuclear reactor underwater or you're, you know, navigating a shipping channel or you're building a new feature, um, you know, in, in our software today, it's all about the team who's doing the work and if they're set up for success and if they believe in what they're doing and they can count on each other. Um, I think that's the biggest takeaway that translates and that that's not just software or the military, right? That's, that's anything. Um, but that certainly is the thing that I just continue to double down on and believe it's, if we can assemble the right team of people, give them parameters to be successful within and then get obstacles out of their way and take on hard things. Um, we'll be successful. So coming from that nuclear engineering background, what percentage of your time was spent in subs versus above the water? 
that's a good question. Um, it it changed so that it changed over time, right? So there were there were times like first of all in the Navy, like if you're a submariner in general, you have sea duty where you're attached to a submarine that's getting ready to deploy, deploying, doing training, all that stuff. And then you have shore duty where you're doing something else. You know, in my case, I was spent a couple of years um, at a kind of training and testing facility with new folks going through that pipeline to go out to submarines and, and go deploy. So I spent a couple of years doing that, but then you're home. I mean, you're home going home at night, you're kind of doing a normal job, but the time you're attached to your submarine, which you know, is three or so years at a time, um, you're at sea a lot underwater a lot. Um, it could be, if you're getting ready for deployment, there's a lot of short stints, right? Kind of work up time where, You'll be gone for three weeks, home for four weeks, gone for two weeks, home for six days, gone, you know, mm. just kind of a, a routine like that. Um, and during that, you're probably home a little more than you're gone. So you're above, above, you know, above the surface of the yeah. water more than you're Hanging below it. On the land. Um, but then on deployments, um, it depends on what kind of submarine you're on, but I was on attack submarines. So there'd be, there'd be generally six, seven month deployments, somewhere in that range. And, um, you are mostly underwater. You're mostly working. So over a six, seven month deployment, you might pull into four or five ports and, and you could stop for, you know, two to six days, um, kind of resupply, breathe fresh air, see sunlight, um, have some fun, <laughs> uh, and then back at it. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're, you know, the submarine's, you know, useful and on mission when, when we're underwater. When you were on those deployments or you were under for a long time, mm-hmm. ever any like <clears throat> times where you're just like, I just need the sunlight or like is depression something that sets in? Like I think about seasonal affectionate disorder. Sure. Um, um, not for me. Um, I'm sure that ever, I think everyone probably reacts to that a little bit differently, but I think in general you're, you have a, you get into a routine and I think, I mean, doing almost anything, in, in the world that a human mm-hmm. being can do, you get into a routine and that's what you know and that's what you do. So once, once we would get into a routine, once I would get into a routine, it was, this is just what my day looks like. And, and you're busy and you keep mm-hmm. yourself busy and in your spare time, you fill it with whether you're reading or, you know, whatever you're doing. Um, so that never bothered me. I mean, I certainly Good. was, would always very much look forward to like, you know, the metaphorical like crack the hatch and go up and like ah oh, son uh you know that's that's awesome but uh no it never bothered me um and i don't think most folks are bothered by that i think i mean human beings are resilient like mm-hmm. we, we adjust to a lot of things so uh i'm sure everyone we, we all enjoyed going home and go you know going mm-hmm. getting out but it was, it was fine do you ever miss any of those experiences like going back down like you ever get that itch like i want to get back into that a little good question um do i miss it I don't miss it in the sense that like, I don't wish that I was doing that, but like, I think the the further you get away from it, the more nostalgic you mm-hmm. feel about it. Sure. Um, so there are certain things that like, Oh yeah, like that, those were great memories. And in the moment it's like, this is not a great day. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm stuck under here, you know, but, but I think the further and further time wise you get away from it, the more nostalgic you feel about it. Um, so I'm really glad that I did it. Like I would do everything again, the exact same way. Um, but no, there's not a moment that I'm like, Oh, I wish I was doing that today. Like, I love, I love what we're doing now. Um, so yeah. I think that that helps maybe if we were doing something else, if this wasn't as fun as it is, maybe I'd answer that question differently, but no, I think I'm nostalgic, but, but I don't, 
yearn for it or anything. So would you, do you have any advice for folks that are making that transition out of, you know, military life into civilian life and just, you know, navigating that? Yeah. Um, it's such a complicated, it's such a weird thing to do and prepare to do um, because you've gotten really good at a, depending on what you do in the military, like submarines are probably extra weird. And there's a bunch of examples of this um, where there's no direct civilian application of, you know, <laughs> sure. submarining, um, you know, probably not any legal uh, direct applications. Right. Um, but there are like, you can, there's pieces of that that totally translate. Like a lot of guys get out, um, they get out from that and they go take a job at a nuclear power plant as an engineer, um, or something like that. And that's, if, if that's what you loved about your time on submarines, like that's a great way to do that. But then everything else, there's, there's skills that translate, whether it's technical skills, people skills, you know, anything like that. So I, I think the advice if there's, if this is advice, um, this might be really obvious, but it's just figure out what you liked about what you did in the military. And there were a ton of things that I loved, you know, the people, the team, the challenging, you know, super hard to solve problems that would come up, you know, all the time. I loved that. And there were things that I didn't like. I didn't like being away from my family for months and months at a time, especially once my wife and I started having kids. It's like, this would be tough to sustain for 30 years. (laughs) Right. Um, so it's okay. How do you how do you then approach the next chapter, um, looking for those things? But I, I guess the only other advice would be like, don't try to eat the apple of that transition all in one bite. Like, just mm-hmm. go go do something, and like it's okay if you don't, you know, make the right forever decision that in that moment. Like just go do something and figure it out, and figure out what you like about that, and. You know, you can always figure it, you know, do something else later. What are some of those things that you did to prepare? Like when you finally decided that you were going to get out of military? Uh, good question. So I am a voracious reader just in general. And I mean, we've all talked about that uh, before, but I, I read everything I could about different industries and sectors and, you know, to, from people. And then also like, I hate the word networking, but like networked with a lot of folks who had either made that transition and enjoyed it and had a great outcome and loved what they were doing then or the opposite. And like really looked for people who had different perspectives on that. So just kind of learned as much as I could as early as I could. So even, I don't know, two years before I got out of the military, started thinking about, Hey, I think I'm going to get out in a couple of years. I want to start learning as much as I possibly can now, just so I go in eyes wide open that it's going to be different in good ways and bad. Um, and went from there. So what were your impressions when you first, you know, met Dave and we were introduced to what we were doing in this industry? Met you crazy people. Yeah, right. uh, yes. no, I, so my, my first impression. So, so here's, I'll tell you like my perspective going into that conversation. Cause at the time I was still, still in the military was planning on getting out that, that year. Um, and had really narrowed, I knew what I wanted to do from a broad sense. I wanted to work at a early stage company. Um, I wanted to work in SaaS software. I just loved the business model, especially like vertical SaaS within a specific industry where you can really solve problems for companies like as a, as a partner to them. I just, I talked to a bunch of people who had worked in bunch of different arenas and I was really interested in that and you know, talked to a bunch of folks and, and we happened to get connected. Dave and I happened to get connected through some mutual folks that we knew. So came up to, to Wilmington, North Carolina from where we were living um, at the time and, and first listened to the whole background on the industry. And, you know, like many folks, I think my very initial reaction was, 
wait, community association management. What? Who? Like, <laughs> I, I know, I know what HOAs are. I know what, and then really starting to appreciate the nuance of the, the true, um, unique and very specialized nature of what our industry is. And so that was the first reaction is like starting to appreciate the scale of the community association management industry and the really unique skill sets that people have that operate within it. Um, so that was my first reaction. And then as I met the team, this is before I really understood, cause this was kind of Annika, the idea still mm-hmm. at the time. Um, as I met the team, I was super impressed with super smart people. Like everyone, you guys, you know, Dave, Lauren, Greg, like everyone who I met early, David and Will, like was just like, wow, these are super smart people working on a really complicated problem. And whether I, you know, consciously knew this at the time or this was a subconscious thing, I think like the little like back of the neck hairs are standing up. It's like, hey, what did I like about submarines? I liked working with really smart people. I liked solving really complicated problems. I liked, you know, and so I think that was like, these are, these are my people. Like, this is really interesting. And then I think digging in further um, and getting to know kind of the industry landscape, A, it was really interesting, really interesting. People started talking to, you know, other folks there. And I realized that there are real problems. And I don't mean problems like bad things, but there's real friction to mm-hmm. try to solve yeah. in the industry. It's hard. Like, it is hard for management companies to find and hire and retain great talent because it's hard to be a community manager. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's actually, it's hard to be a board member too, because you're trying to do a great job for your community and take care of it, but also minimize the, the cost and the inconvenience and then find the right manager. It's like, it's hard. A lot of this is difficult. And so then when I kind of looked at what Vanica was, was trying to be and what we want to be still is, you know, we just want to help eliminate that friction and make everyone be able to be more successful in their jobs and also deal with less frustration and, and all those things. So all of that just kind of lined up with, okay, here's a, a big industry, big opportunity, you know, for, for us to really do something big, um, really smart, cool people that I would love to spend a hundred hours a week working with much less 40, you know? So, um, so we got excited about those things and then it was just like, oh, and it, and it means something like the, the industry like needs more needs, needs kind of better. So I got super fired up. What are some of those opportunities that you see in the industry where we can reduce friction or what do you think are some of the biggest places that friction needs to be reduced? Yeah, I, I think that, um, just brought, like I'll start super broad and then we can zoom in maybe. Um, I think that just. Uh, my, my example of this, of why they're like, why there's friction. And then we can talk about where we think it is, mm-hmm. is I've had a chance a, a number of times now to be in like a big room of people. And you, like, how many of you live in an HOA or a condominium association? You know, half the room generally raises mm-hmm. their hand. Like, okay, keep your hands raised. How many of you love that experience? And like the hands generally go down. And then you start to ask individual people, why, like, what are, what are those things? It's like, well, I don't understand what I'm paying for. It feels like I'm paying too much. Or other people say, well, I just wish like someone would listen to me, whether they're a board member or a homeowner or whatever. And so I think the biggest, like big buckets of friction are communication in general and not just communication, like us speaking to each other or sharing Mm -hmm. emails or anything else, but like transparency, the communication and transparency, I guess that's a, a bucket together. Um, So that's one area and that's for stakeholders all the way around kind of the table, meaning 
the homeowners so they understand like, hey, here's my assessments are really going to do good things. They're preserving the value of my home. They're helping me have, you know, the amenities that I want, all those things. For board members, it's the transparency that they know what the management company they hired is doing for them. They know like how the health of their community truly from a financial standpoint, planning, you know, all those things. And then for all the different roles in the management company to say, we know how we're running this business. We know what our homeowners need. We know what our board members want. We know what the other, you know, the back office kind of operations folks in the company are doing and what their process is, the community manager. So I think just communication and transparency is the single biggest bucket. There's more, but mm-hmm. that's probably number one. Big component of education there as well. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Right. So of the challenges, like what are you most excited about right now solving? Like there's a lot of different things we're yeah, diving into, a lot up. of different avenues. Yeah. What are you I, most excited about? I think broadly, um, right. Broadly our, our focus and the thing that I just get most excited about and, and, st- and now that we've got a few years of data, now we can, s- we've, we've seen this play out a bunch of times and ha- like have the data to go back and say, yes, like our, the thesis is right. This mm-hmm. works is, um, using technology to help management companies, our customers, eliminate the manual and the non-value add just work just Mm kind of junk junk that clogs up time in your day time in your week and doesn't add value to you as a community manager or you as a business owner and doesn't really add value in terms of personal interactions with the communities that you manage so so that's things like automation of Mm -hmm. you know really repetitive tasks it's like predicting you know uh predicting things and scheduling things in advance and, and having kind of automatic, you know, triggers on that stuff. And so then, so what I'm excited about is just time for people to actually think about, okay, like how do we add value here? How do we add value to the communities that we're managing? How do we make this a better relationship between me as a community manager and you as a board member um, or even within the company? And, you know, the, the net effects of those things are, happier customers for, you know, in the form of communities, boards, um, more profitability because, you know, instead of just saying, Oh, here's another, we brought on another community. We need to hire another, you know, X person in this seat just to do these manual processes. It's like, do, do you need to do that? Maybe. Or do you need to give better tools to the people that are there so they can have more time back to, to build the relationship? So that's the thing that I'm most excited about. It's just like creating more time for value add activities and, that leads to all the good things, greater profitability, satisfaction, all that. As a problem solver, um, do you have a methodology for if you're going to go into something like that? Like you want to reduce time, you know, technology is the answer. Do you have a specific methodology that you would you would utilize for getting from A to B? Yeah, uh, specific. I think there's a bunch of approaches. I think broadly, and what we certainly do is let's, instead of trying to like solution things quickly. And we're all like, I know the three of us sitting here, we are big solution people like, Oh, we should, let's do this. Like, mm-hmm. here's a, like, let's try yeah. this thing. Right now. Um, yeah. We, we love to do that. But I think when we really try to make meaningful change, um, asking mm-hmm. what outcome are we trying to achieve? So I don't know, pick a, pick an easy example. Let's say we're trying to um, make our collections and, and kind of, our collections process uh, flow more smoothly for our management company. We, instead of a solution of saying like, I don't want to have to send this letter at this point, I'm trying to solve that. It's like, well, we could solve that thing or we could say, what outcome are we trying to achieve? It's like, Mm -hmm. we want 
better, more transparent communication through this process. And we want, you know, less human interaction and, and variables in that. And then, you know, what outcome does that give us? It gives us this stuff mm-hmm. over here and then go back and say, okay, well, what are all the points that we could maybe like, tackle that? Mm-hmm. And really, and then I, I guess the only other thing to think about with that. So that's, I think, a, a good approach. Also looking for the constraints in the process. Like for that outcome, what is the one thing we have to open the aperture on a little wider to give us more room to then start attacking the other things? Because if we do a great job solving this, but the constraints really down here, we're still not going to get our outcome. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd, I'd like to get your opinion. We've had a lot of conversations internally lately around like a lot of legislative changes, you know, like California is coming up with a new way of doing things. It seems like every six months, you know, Colorado's rolling out some new stuff. You're talking about collections that mm-hmm. definitely impact and make the collections process there out there a little hairy. So, you know, from, from a leadership perspective and as you're navigating like how we deliver our software and the type of mm-hmm. quality and content that we're delivering, um, like how do you kind of, how do you see that playing out and like impacting our business and then, um, you know, moving forward with all these different regulatory changes. Like, you know, we had our customer advisory board this week, which would be great to dive into in a minute. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and definitely this concept has come up of, hey, we see changes on the horizon as it relates to, you know, reserve funding and those types of things. So how do you, how do you see that as it relates to how it impacts our business? And great question. Um, And a complicated question. So sorry, I was a long ramble. No, that's good. (laughs) It's good. Uh, I I think, I think, um, when it comes to what's coming in terms of legislation, I mean, the, our industry is over time has been and will be just by nature of, you know, what it is will be regulated more mm. over time. And I don't really have an opinion of that's good or bad. I think there's, there's good things about that and there are drawbacks to that. I mean, I, we, sure. it's hard to get everything right. So I'm sure there will be some misses. Um, but in terms of, like how does that impact our decision-making and our customers decision-making and, you know, how we work together uh, with them on it. I think that there are certain broad trends that we can look at and recognize and get way ahead of and just start planning for that future. And then there's the micro dips and dives that I think we just have to leave space to be reactive to some of that stuff and, and quickly respond and, and, you know, go through that assessment of, okay, here's this thing. It could be a problem, could be an opportunity. Um, what outcome do we want? Okay. Now what do we have to do? We have to react to, okay, there's a change of policy in X state, California, Colorado. Let's quickly get the right folks in the room, whether they're our customers, attorneys, whoever to say, how can we set our management company customers and their customers up for success through this thing? But some of the broader, broader changes like reserve funding which you mentioned is a great example i think over time there's a most of us would bet and whether it's our customer advisory board or talking to many people in the industry i think we agree that over time it's going to be even if not mandated through legislation a best practice to have more standards or more Mm -hmm at least more transparency around what proper funding and reserve funding is for condominiums or any, any community. Um, so I think looking at those broad trends and saying like, okay, well, what can we be doing today to get the right information in front of the right people and have them make decisions with it and make it super transparent. I mean, that's our job is to facilitate that. So if someone wants to take a bet on that and change their behavior, we should be able to facilitate it. Do you ever see any research coming out, 
around these topics other than out of you know CAI, CACM? Like, do you do you, ever, do you see any of that on like the secondary education, like college education level? I don't I don't know that I've ever seen a college course associated with managing homeowners associations or any of these types of concepts. But if you really start diving into it a little bit, like there's, I, I think there's value there. So I'm curious if. No, I mean, is that a thing that exists? No, I was going to say that's an interesting question because I never see that outside of maybe like the real estate industry. Like sometimes in real estate mm-hmm. continuing education, they'll dive into things like that. But um, but that's a valid point. Like where do you see that education? Like if, if I don't live in an HOA or I'm not a board member of an HOA, how do I know what reserve funding is or why that's important to me? Mm. Right. And how do I value it? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm only going to say I'm only going to live in this neighborhood for 18 months. Why do I care about properly funding our reserves so that mm-hmm. we can replace the roof on the clubhouse in 19 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's, again, I think that's an education and tra- like just being transparent about the why and making good decisions from the start. Um, but to answer your question directly, no, there, I mean, there's not a lot of like true education around that. I think what it, what I see, and I know, you know, we participate in a, a lot of this stuff is there's a lot of people who care, who have a lot of great ideas and information who share it but it happens in small groups, whether it's yeah. a, a small conference, um, even some of our larger industry events and, and kind of organizations that's really focused in our industry. Um, so I just think the more that we all, all the different stakeholders um, in our industry get together and think about these things and think about how we can, we all want the same thing. If we want people's, most people's largest asset, their home to be, protected and valuable and them to enjoy, you know, living there and to facilitate that in a way that is beneficial to all those parties. Like we all want those things. And so, so there's some very complicated issues there, but I think the more we talk about them and, and think about where, like what a better future looks like, um, I think we get smarter, but there's, there's not a, there's not a ton. Yeah. No one goes to school to be a, a community manager necessarily. You gotta, you gotta yeah. learn that. So, Word on the street is you've been um, in the house market lately. Have you purchased a house or you've been looking for a house? Uh, no, I have not purchased a house. We, we are thinking about moving uh, at some point. Um, we've looked, so we've actually looked at, I don't live in, a, in an HOA today, but we've looked at a couple and, uh, you know, how much fun is it to get all the, mm-hmm. the CCRs and, and look through that and see what you're signing up for. But no, I have... Uh, we, we are quite settled. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I was curious on how, you know, your experience with like what we do every day impacts like those decisions. And I, I feel like it's inevitable that you're going to, I think it's inevitable, but it's deeper. funny. I, I, yeah. At the end of the day, like we are just, you know, regardless of how much you understand that's like behind the curtain, it's just like, okay, but what are my dues? And like, what is, you know, yeah. anyway, we all have the same, we all have the mm-hmm. same kinds of questions. And then there's a few more, you know, a couple layers deeper you want to go. But, um, no, that's great. Well, going back to the point you were making earlier, it seems like real estate agents are the ones that the onus of responsibility usually falls on in that education piece now, you know, sure. and I don't see a ton of quality education from the realtor side, generally, at least in my experience and the experience of the folks that I interact with. Um, it's just, it's, I think it's very market dependent. Like some <laughs> folks, you just don't ever have to deal with it in a, in a complex manner. And some folks it's, um, it's what you deal with all the time so that you become an expert by necessity, even if not intentional. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It definitely depends on the type of type of locale you're in mm-hmm. type of communities that are there, yeah. um, whether they are the planned communities or, you know, if you're out in the sticks, some country things, things right, like that. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like 
East Tennessee, Western North Carolina. It's like, oh, you're moving into HOA. This is how much you're going to pay. That's the extent of it. There's no education around. Like, you got to right. go through mm-hmm. these CCNR. So then, yeah. inevitably, my friend buys a place and moves in, and then realizes that he can't raise chickens there. And you know, and he wants That's to right. put, you know, a Dale Earnhardt three on his mailbox, and he's getting violation letters, and he's really confused. That's you know, right. and so it's mm-hmm. it's just always fun to see that. So I guess I would yep. lead that into a question for you on like we've got a lot to learn in this industry, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. definitely not going to say we're experts, but like from our, from your perspective and like the knowledge you've gained in being in this industry so far, like what advice would you give to homeowners and board members um, in better understanding like what that responsibility is maybe as mm-hmm. a board member or as a homeowner, like what to look for? I'll start with homeowner. Board member is even more complicated, I think. That's a, that's just, it's just a, such a big responsibility and I commend everyone who, because these are volunteer yeah. positions. Um and again, I, I just think like the stakes are high, uh, even as a homeowner, right? Like these are, again, for almost all of us in the world, like our home is our most valuable asset. If you own a home, that's usually, you know, your most valuable thing, possession, however you want to look at it. Um, so treat it like that. Don't say, like, don't treat it like, a, oh, there's an HOA, there's some docs you have to look at and sign. Like, again, this is the thing that you're living in and your family's living in and that you're building a life in and that, you know, you're you're saving for for years so like understand it like just take the time understand it ask a million questions if you don't get them right away they can be known like they are our answers to those questions so just know as much as you can go in eyes wide open and there's a lot of great benefits too like understand the i think people focus a lot of times moving into a community association on like well, what are, what's the cost? And then, but on the plus, plus side, what they're being so like, what are the amenities? This is great. And then also like understand, understand how that like, helps the value of your home over time and, um, and value that, like appreciate that as well. So I would just say on the homeowner side, you know, learn as much as you possibly can. Um, and, and understand that there's, lots of really good things about it and don't be frustrated. Like I think, I think most of the frustration, if there is frustration usually comes from a lack of knowledge on the front end. Like I didn't know that I couldn't, Mm -hmm. you know, paint my fence purple. I'm so upset now. It's like, well, I mean, would you really have been upset about that if you just would have read that at closing and you never would have made your plans to paint your fence purple, right? Right. Um, right. So I think a little bit of education goes a long way for board members. I, I, I don't know that I have, um, a ton of advice, uh, having not been a board member in a community myself, but having talked to lots and, and, you know, and certainly lots of folks who help, help facilitate their process. I, I think again, it's, it's education is, is the best thing, like learn as much as you possibly can. And then also like your job is to, is to communicate more as much as anything else. Like you're making decisions, you're, you're, you know, doing all the things that you have to do, but, um, just be clear and transparent. Yeah, you make a good point. It seems like a lot of the conversation around HOAs um, and maybe outside of the industry a little bit is is generally negative, right? Like there's limitations, there's amounts that we have to pay, negative, negative, negative. And I, I think this would be a good opportunity to just share like real life example of like some of those benefits, right? So um, my dad lives out in the middle of nowhere, East Tennessee, mm-hmm. and uh, had some really good neighbors. Um, and those neighbors moved out. And so a new set of folks has moved in mm-hmm. um, from out west. Um, and so he'd been in there for a couple of weeks and this huge dump truck pulls into the yard and just unloads this huge mound of gravel in the middle of this guy's front yard, like very much in view of dad's house, right? Just mm. a big pile of gravel. And we're like, what the heck are they going to do with that? Sure. You know? So a week later, someone comes with this large shed and they deliver the shed and they put the shed on the 
huge pile of gravel that's like six feet tall and then support the other side with cinder blocks. So now there's this huge shed structure that these people have relatives living in in the middle of their yard that's on cinder blocks. That's tough. That well, tough. well, so and this is, I think, <laughs> what what's interesting is, like, it's one thing to have a little friction with your HOA, with your community, if you're if you're wanting to say you're wanting to put a basketball goal in your driveway, but the regulations say you have to put it facing a certain way. Not this. That, there's a little bit of friction there, but I think that that friction is often much better if there are rules that you can live within. Rather than having like now, what what's he going to do? Knock on right. the neighbor's door, mix. So I want to talk to you about your shed. <laughs> it's like, well, now there's this weird neighborly thing. Um, so there there's a ton of great things. I mean, and then sure. like the the data, and I love big data. Like the data would say that community associations are really good for your property value over time, right? That's and that's the big data would say that. Mm-hmm. And that's again, if it's our biggest asset, maybe we're going to live there for forty years. Maybe we're going to live there for five. Um, but that's, that's good too. So there's, yeah. there's a ton of benefits and then, um, yeah. yeah. And that's one of the benefits <laughs> of, of your management company, right? Is totally. That is your neighbor. And right. it's, it's difficult to have neighbor to neighbor conversations and the management company can kind of help shelter, you know, we've got to enforce the same things, but I'm not the guy looking at you in the eyeballs to do that. 100%. And that's, yeah. you know, if there's any, this is certainly not advice, but like if, 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 if there was a magic wand to like wave in this industry, and everyone to know something or appreciate something. I think for all homeowners and board members to realize that the management company is really their job and what every one of them is doing is working to help you have a better experience living in your home, protecting the value of your home and planning for the future. Mm-hmm. And like, there's so much, you know, weird friction that happens and, and all this stuff that if people could just remember that of like, Hey, this, this person who, yes, did I get a, a violation because my grass, you know, I forgot to have someone mow it when I was out of town for two weeks and, you know, I got a, a letter in my mailbox. Like that is so that when you do come back from vacation, like you're like, Oh, I love my neighborhood and it looks beautiful mm-hmm. and all these things. So I think just the reminder, like those people mm-hmm. are truly working for you. Like they are right. working to make your life better. Um, yeah. The management companies are incredibly important to, to the whole ecosystem. Yeah. That's a great point. I definitely sure. agree. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of out of your busy day to join us. This is a lot of fun. We'll have to circle back around and dive into some other topics. We kind of only scratched the surface here. I was going to say lots of things that we can we can dig into, but, but I love it. This is this is awesome. Any excuse to hang out with BD and Shelly and had a lot of fun. So thank you guys. We'll do oh, it yeah, again. For sure. All right. All right. Thanks. 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 Thank you for joining us on another episode of Guilty by Association. We'll see you next time. <laughs>